one of the issues with my mom was her trying to live her life vicariously through me and not seeing me for the unique person that I am and letting me kind of just develop in my own way. And without intending to, I was afraid that I was going to do that to my daughter. I, I want her to develop into the person that she's going to be and to be able to support her and her own interests and talents mm -hmm. and dreams. Um, so I, it's like I, I didn't see the gift I already had. I mean, I've always appreciated her and loved her and been amazed by who she is and what she's growing to be. Um, but that kind of connection and home and family that I was looking for, I had. And I still have that with her. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Jan Caps. Welcome, Jan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So, Jan, you are in public health, and mm -hmm. you had a dream for many years of living abroad. And I'm wondering when that that dream first hit you. Yeah, it's actually something that kind of evolved over time. So, as you may be able to tell from my accent, I'm a Southerner. Um, I grew up in a small town in North Carolina and um, went to a Southern Baptist church. And what I heard at church, um, part of that message just did not connect with me. So what was the message? What in particular for someone who hasn't been in a yeah. church like that? What kind of messages did you find didn't resonate with you? So I'll say what didn't resonate with me and then what did resonate with me. What didn't resonate with me was these ideas of sin and righteousness and it, and holy. And it seemed to be this long list of things you weren't supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And that just didn't connect with me. But when I read what I what we call the social gospel, that did connect with me. This idea that you're supposed to go out into the world and heal the sick and help the widows and orphans and love your neighbor as yourself. So those were things that I read about, but it wasn't what I was hearing. Um, and so what I was reading was what really touched me and what connected mm -hmm. with my soul. And I thought, well, that's what I want to do. I want to I go be a missionary. I want to do all these things I'm reading about. Um, I have no interest in evangelizing mm. or converting people or trying to save anyone. That just wasn't my, that just wasn't where I was. Was that unique in, in your community to not want to do those well, together? I mean, the idea, yeah. I would say like the idea of like being a quote unquote Christian was about like bringing other people to Christ. And I didn't really want to bring other people to Christ. I wanted to to bring, when we talk about like heaven on earth, I wanted to bring, not take people to heaven, but help bring heaven here mm -hmm. by creating a society that was more just, that was more fair, equitable, where everyone had the opportunity to live in dignity. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what that looked like or what it was I would be doing. Well, when I said I wanted to be a missionary, um, being a middle-class girl from a small town in the South, that is exactly what you're not supposed to do. Is that right? How Absolutely. Come? Well, because good girls give money for other people to go do those things. You don't actually go do that yourself. So mm. I was kind of raised with like, no, you're supposed to find a nice husband and um, kind of, you know, work into a life of good standing. And that, that just did not interest me at all. But then when I went to graduate school, I, I um, studied public health. And then just kind of walking around the halls of graduate school, I was like, this is exactly what I was meant to do. Like I read about these posters where people were working on cholera in Haiti, or working with the black churches on breast cancer, or working in the, at that time, emerging AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, this is a way that I could go into the world and 
and be part of what I had learned about as a young person without um, evangelizing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if I believe in anything that I would want other people to believe in, it is that we are all made to shine. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is kind of where I started in that path. Um, and then while I was in graduate school, studying during the day, I had um, I spoke a little bit of Spanish. So I got this part-time job in the evening working with farm workers. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching English to farm workers. And so I would... Um, ride out to the eastern North Carolina to the tobacco fields and work with farm workers who had many of them were living in the same conditions or the same housing as the sharecroppers or the slaves had 100 years before and um, it kind of opened my eyes to um, it was almost like a like a shadow world that was happening in my state. So, I mean, I grew up in a in tobacco country, but I did not know what it was like to be in the tobacco fields or with the workers. And I saw the conditions in which they were living and how hard they were working and how that work was making them sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that time, when I first started working with farm workers was when um, my marriage, my parents' marriage fell apart, and um, my family kind of fell apart. I was a young woman, and I had my relationship with my mother fell apart. And this one Mexican family in particular took me in almost as their daughter. When you say you were a young adult, about how old were you? Mm, 24. So you were in the world, but yeah. you no longer had a home base necessarily? Right. Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. have a home base. And so my family was like I said, disintegrating. And um, this Mexican family took me in. And this, uh, not, I didn't live with them, but every time I visited, Estella had something from the garden or she had dinner for me and just basically treated me like their daughter. And I kind of folded into this family. And from the family is how I learned about what it takes for people to get here, what their family had to go through. And then just talking to the workers, I learned about how what their lives were like in Mexico and what it took for them to get here. And that is sort of the my way in of understanding immigration, understanding what was happening you know, at the time. And this was in the, the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So for me, it I didn't come at this work from necessarily a political perspective, but it was more about like the friendships and relationships and the family that I developed and kind of a place of love for them Mm -hmm. and wanting to um, do something that would support them. It's important, I think, that you uh, differentiate between this need to go and help and this need that eventually would become working in another country and public health from missionary work and from um, any kind of immigration agenda. It was about the personal relationship. It was about personal relationships for me, yeah. But in the late 90s, I moved to Guatemala for two years um, to work as a community organizer for a health project. Mm -hmm. And um, my intent going wasn't necessarily to change Guatemala or like to make a huge impact there. It was more to learn more about the conditions in which people live, um, to learn the culture, to do what I can. Mm -hmm. Um, But my intent was always to take whatever I'm learning and bring it back to North Carolina and help people in North Carolina. And I came back to North Carolina um, in the early 2000s. I had a job working on domestic violence as a health issue. And I started a program for battered immigrant women. Mm. And so I went around the state and trained local domestic violence programs on immigration, on um, the needs of serving battered Latinos or battered Hispanics. Um, What are the special um, conditions or situations for farm worker women? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of farm worker women who come, they're 
visa is tied to the place where they are working mm -hmm. and so it's not like they can just pick up and go get another job because mm -hmm. they they can be in the country to work in that place and that place happens to be where their partner is mm -hmm. so you can't leave your partner without leaving the country so if circumstances become bad and if you want to leave or you need to protect yourself you can't necessarily just pick up and go no you can't mm -hmm. and so I so what I did is I came back and I did training on that and then I ended up um, with another job working to help start clinics for farm workers. So I worked with eight states and traveled around in the Mid-Atlantic and opened clinics for farm workers. Wow. So that was kind of, I mean, I didn't know exactly what job I would be doing, but I knew that when I, when I went away, it was the idea of coming back to do something here. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how that experience would have changed me. Um, Did you like your time in Guatemala? The first time, mm -hmm. it was just, it was hard as hell. Mm. Um, and so I wouldn't say I liked my time. <laughs> I would say that I developed like really intense personal friendships and relationships with people. Um, I went to Guatemala um, a couple years after the Civil War ended. Mm -hmm. And so um, one thing you learn, like the, the end of war doesn't mean the beginning of peace. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in an area that was kind of like the Wild West, where there had not been um, a government presence. There was no rule of law. There was vigilante killings. I lived in a little village with no running water. We just got electricity, no phones. Um, and there was violence everywhere. Um, but at the same time, there was incredible resilience, mm -hmm. hope. Um, people were optimistic about the end of the war, about trying to organize civil society and um, bring heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, um, unbeknownst to me, I was a Catholic missionary after all. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did, how, how did you realize you were? How did I realize that? Well, the, I got a job with a nonprofit and... Um, when I went for my orientation, um, they said, oh, by the way, every place where we work, it's a small NGO based out of the U.S., everywhere we work, we work under the auspices of a local organization. And it just so happens that we work in this community under the Catholic Church. And so I worked with this kind of wing of the Catholic Church that was uh, into liberation theology. And so... Which is... Which is, um, this is long. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> well, I mean, I don't know what it is, and I imagine yes. there are listeners who don't know Absolutely. what that is. Yes. So, okay. I'm a so, Jewish girl from New York. <laughs> you're like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. So, the idea is that the Catholic Church has historically been aligned with the power structure and has been aligned with the state. And so, just like when the, the Spanish crown came to the Americas to conquer, um, the bishops and the priests were right there with them, hand in hand, conquering. And mm -hmm. so they spread, um, you know, converting people to Christianity was part of Spain expanding its empire. Mm -hmm. And so the church and the state were hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1950s and 60s, there were a group of priests from Spain and North America and Central America who kind of developed this idea of um, sin being not something that is just personal but can be institutional and can be about power structures that that governments can sin mm -hmm. and um, institutions can sin and that um, poverty is not something that is necessarily just there but mm -hmm. is created by those in power. Mm -hmm. And so they viewed that the work of the church was to align with the poor and oppressed mm -hmm. and to take their side against the power structures and to um, help lift people out of poverty wasn't about just giving charity, but about changing the conditions in which people are poor. Mm -hmm. And so when they started these radical ideas um, was also the time that 
the U.S. became very concerned about communism, and then these ideas sounded very communist. And so um, a lot of the folks that were involved in working with the poor and in organizing against the power structures ended up getting killed. Hmm. And so this, you may have heard about the Spanish and North American and Central American priests and nuns that have been killed in Central America for this work. Um, and in fact, the place that I lived in Guatemala had been a convent until it got too dangerous and the nuns left mm-hmm. and then we, we replaced them. So then I have to ask you, yeah. uh, before you continue, you're, you're in Guatemala, you're, you've just told me that life is pretty hard. It was not this dream come true necessarily. You find out that you're working actually under the auspices of the Catholic church yeah. and, and like, you know, so what made you want to stay there? Well, I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with, I mean, it was just, um, I was really inspired by them. And it was a process where like every day I had to question who I was, why I was here, um, was what I was doing just making things worse? Mm -hmm. Was I doing anything to make things better? And I still had in my mind that in the long run that I would take this and go back. Mm-hmm. And in fact, people would say that to me all the time, like, like, don't forget us. Mm. And it wasn't just don't forget us here, but like, don't, for- don't forget us when you go there. Mm-hmm. Like, remember, remember. And um, so I, um, yeah, I just felt obliged and compelled to do that are you do you know what you were looking for yeah so um that's a good question so I I came at it I went to Guatemala at a time that was also I had had a a breakup that was really painful and when my parents marriage fell apart and this other break breakup fell apart I felt like I didn't have home and as a young woman, I moved around a lot. I was kind of, you know, had some different jobs, but I just didn't feel home. And I, when I was among a group of people that had also been displaced and didn't have home, in a weird kind of way, I felt home with them. That these were people that during a war had lived in the mountains or had run off to Mexico and lived in hiding. I developed a really like I said, close friendship with people that were colleagues that um, I had not had here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one woman I worked with, Marina. So I've been, I was in Guatemala for three weeks and was chatting with her. She was on our, our property. We were, were teaching classes to midwives. And she's an older lady. It's funny because she's actually... She was younger than I am right now, but I'm going to say her. She was an older lady. It's funny how that happens. Because I'm still young. Um, <laughs> you know, she's needle pointing, and I, she had this like little toddler on her lap, and I'm like, oh, is that your grandson? She's like, no, it's my youngest, Walter. And in our conversation, she'd had 17 children, and she was 47 years old. Oh and she told me she's been um, either nursing or pregnant since she was... 15 and I'm just trying to imagine like that's before I've even had my first kiss she was already starting with her first pregnancy and I don't just something about she was chubby and she she like grabbed my knee and said my husband is always like to see me pregnant and she's like but I've got I'm taking this shot now I'm getting depo shots and that's why I'm so fat but I'm not gonna have any more babies and but like it was her life's mission to have other women not go through what she went through. Mm-hmm. And we just had this lovely conversation, like needle pointing, sitting in sunshine. And then a couple of weeks later, I find out that her oldest son was killed, um, actually hacked with a machete. And um, we were all going to go to Donya Marina's house. And I'm like, but I don't really know her. I mean, I just met her that one time and we've had a couple of conversations, but I don't know mm-hmm. her that well. And... It didn't matter. If someone's family dies, you just go. So we get in a car. We drive to the next village, which is where Doña Marina lived. 
and she lives in a little shack. Um, you know, after 17 children, like the oldest ones have moved out, but she still has several young ones there. And so Doña Marina is not there because she's the only midwife in town. And so she is actually delivering the baby of the daughter of the man who is building her son's coffin. So he's built it because, so it's kind of like as, you know, her, this man was preparing to her, to send her son into the next world, she was bringing his grandchild into this world at the same time. So I'm at this, you know, little wood shack. I mean, by wood, I mean like pieces of trees have been cut down. It's like sticks. Mm -hmm. And they take a bed, which was basically just two planks, and say, that's your bed for the night. So they gave up a plank for me, and I just laid there. And then she came home. And we spent the night together. And it I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to say anything. It was just being in her presence. Mm-hmm. And that's what mattered. And when I left two years later, um, she wrote me this little note in her you know, best sixth grade handwriting, thanking me for being with her on June 24th, which was the worst night of her son's of her life the the death of her son you know we just developed this like beautiful friendship but she was one of many beautiful friendships Mm -hmm. that I developed and um I don't mean to jump ahead but like when I went years later with my daughter my daughter was born on June 24th which was the day her son died I mean a few years later and so I was able to introduce my daughter to Marina and Marina was like super happy to see me and it'd been a few years since we've been together and I introduced my daughter to her and and then I said and she was born on June 24th and I could see like the tears in Marina's eyes and and I said I've told her about you and I've told her about our time together mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and I want her to like have the same strength you do mm-hmm. And, um, sorry. It's okay. But, like, that intensity, um, I, when you said, like, what was I looking for? I, I didn't know that I could find, like, that kind of love. And mm-hmm. it, it's not a romantic love. It's not a, it's just, a, like, a love for a person, but mm-hmm. times many people. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that I found that kind of love for people. Mm-hmm. Or that they would have that kind of love back for me. And Marina always, just like, you know, the woman in, in North Carolina who always had something for me. Like mm-hmm. a Marina, there's a, there was a plank for me, mm-hmm. a bed for me, mm-hmm. when there would be for nobody else, you know. And um, that's, that's, I don't know that that's what I was looking for, but that's what I found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you... You come back to the States, and I assume you know, two years have passed, and at some point in this time, you meet your your partner, your husband, yeah. right? And, yeah. And it's your goal, you have mentioned to me, that you want to go back. You know that you want to go back to Guatemala. Yeah. Well, actually, I came back with initially the intent of like working with, on immigrant issues mm-hmm. in the States or North Carolina, and I met this great guy. Um that we seem to have so much in common. Um, And we just seemed really aligned in many different ways. And when I had been there before, I'd had this experience, I don't know if you've ever felt this, like of being always lonely but never alone. Mm -hmm. Like constantly surrounded by people, but I felt lonely. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, wouldn't it be amazing to share this with someone else? Because mm-hmm. the other people that I saw that seemed to be more successful were people that had a partner or had a family, kids, someone who would ground them. And I thought, I'd like to do this, but I want to share it with someone. I don't want to be on my own. Mm-hmm. And when I came back and I met this great guy, I thought, yeah, we could do this together. And in fact, when we were dating, I took him to Guatemala with me and I introduced him to Marina. I introduced him to Lillian and Cholm and Sarigmo and everybody else I worked with. And I showed him where I lived. And when I saw how he interacted with the folks there, like 
he was kind and respectful and seemed to appreciate their conditions and um I thought yeah this this could be it like we could do this together and I had this vision of us having a little family and traveling or working in communities and that that's what I wanted yeah mm-hmm. and so you got married yeah and so then I he is from this area and so I moved in out. Washington yeah he's mm-hmm. from yeah in Washington and I moved out here to be with him and we had our daughter and and we're married um but I was still holding on to this idea that like oh this move here to Washington is kind of like a stepping stone until we kind of get our ducks in a row get things in order to, to either not necessarily to go back to Guatemala but to go somewhere else in Latin America um and so he has some ties to Latin America and I thought we could go to the place where he has ties or Mm -hmm. or somewhere else um and so this was something that was going to be a couple years down the road but like two years turned to four years to six years to seven to eight to nine Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and but it was constantly like we're saving money and then we bought one place and then bought another place and sold this and kind of moving things around with this idea and would you would you talk about it with him would he would he listen to oh yeah this was your goal and he knew it and he understood that you were going to do this yeah I thought it was our goal Mm -hmm. I thought it was our goal because he also had a big interest in travel and Mm -hmm. he had a strong interest in Latin America and he'd been working with immigrants in North Carolina Mm. I thought I thought I found someone who was on the same page as me Um, and so we were going to do this together and then it starts to come into like, okay, we're, we're really going to do this. And Mm so I've, we've picked a place and I, um, found a list of organizations where we might work and we were making plans about school and I was going to quit my job and things were like kind of lined up to go. And so we were going to leave when and by that time, my daughter was, our daughter was in second grade. So mm-hmm. this had been quite a few years. And um, it was going to be in September, just before school school started. We were going to head out. Um, and then I was going to quit my job in June. And then we'd spend a couple of months, like, kind of getting ready here in Seattle before we head out. And so three days before I was supposed to quit my job, he came home and said he didn't want to do the trip and I was completely blown away and he said he didn't want to do the trip because well first he said he didn't he didn't think we would make it as a couple and I thought well sure we can make it like we're both savvy travelers like we have access to the internet like I don't mm-hmm. understand and then I realized oh my god he thinks we won't make it like mm. we won't we won't survive as a couple. That's what he means. And it just, I couldn't believe it. Did you have any feeling like that at all by, you know, on your own about the two of you at this point? I I would say I did not see that coming mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could also tell that since I had moved out here to be with him, he, I he didn't want me here. And I this, did. Had you moved out and then had your daughter? Yeah. So you can trace it back now with hindsight, especially that there were signs that he yeah that he didn't want me here. Um, and and I will say it's you know in the beginning it was wonderful and we had a great romantic relationship and he was a really good guy and we seemed to have a lot in common. Um, but we didn't have the same vision. And I, in looking back, I think maybe my dream was so big that I thought it could be his dream too, or that it was his dream too. And I didn't understand that silence didn't mean agreement. (laughs) And that he seemed to be talking about it and that we had really different ideas about what travel or living abroad would be and for me it was all about connection like 
I wanted to capture again, like that feeling mm. of being part of a community or being part of a family or however you define family. And he wanted to escape. And so for him, the idea of having a long, what he would say, a long trip was to go see places, go do things, but not necessarily be connected. Mm -hmm. And for me, my vision was like, so it's interesting. We had, we both kind of wanted to do the same thing, but for very different reasons. And it was those reasons that we wanted to do something different that I think was why our marriage ended up not working out because I am somebody who is constantly seeking connection and that is not who he is. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the core of the problems in our marriage. And so within a few weeks of him saying that, so as soon as he said that he didn't want to do the trip the next day, I was like, okay, we'll table that. And like, let's figure out what's going on in our marriage, mm -hmm. work on that. Like you, my family is the most important thing to me, but then within six weeks, that was done too and he was gone and so I felt like I lost my marriage and he has a large extended family here that mm. I lost that family and I lost my dream kind of all together mm. um so I was devastated mm -hmm. yeah those days must have been very hard especially with a young daughter yeah. Yeah, it was hard. And and we had already been talking to her about taking this trip and kind of been getting books and planning. And then now we're not. Yeah. 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 And your friends, everybody knows you're leaving. And now you have this giant change in right. your life. Right. Not only we're we not going, we're getting a divorce. So, um, so what did, how long, how much time passed before you could even start to feel like you could direct yourself into a new part of your life yeah um well I would say I mean for weeks I cried every day and then for months and then there was one day I didn't cry and then I'd cried every day again and then there was like two days I didn't cry <laughs> and then crying again and then like now there's a week I don't oh and then there's a month and then eventually there was this place where, like, I'm not crying more than I am crying. And then and then I kind of started seeing some light. I mean, I, I mean my first priority always is, is my kid. And I didn't want to do anything drastic to change her life, um, to uproot her, to give her any more instability. I wanted to make sure she was okay. Mm -hmm. um, and he did, too. Like, he's a good dad, and mm -hmm. I know he cares a lot about, like, I mean, he loves her, and he wanted to make sure she was okay, too. So even though it was really painful and hard, I mean, I think we were both doing the best we could to make it okay for our daughter, or I don't know if okay is even the right word, to protect our daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but after a year and a half, I was like, you know, this is still something I really want to do. And it was still, I felt like, I felt like I had just been coasting in my life here. Um, and I thought about, you know, why do I want to do this? And I remembered the relationships I'd had before, the friendships, um, the love that I'd had before. And I wanted to be able to share that with my daughter. And I wanted her to see what it was like to live in another country to embrace and to be embraced by another culture. Um, and so I was like, I think I can do it. And I looked one day at one website. I found one job in Guatemala. I applied and got it hmm. within like all of a two-month period. From the decision of like, I think I should could do this to me being in Guatemala interviewing was, I don't know, six weeks. Wow. So did it your did your ex at that point was he behind that was he okay with this idea of taking your daughter to Guatemala or did you have to convince him that it was okay? It was a lot of negotiation. Mm -hmm. I will say. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he loves her and I I mean his two his number one priority was her safety and well-being mm -hmm. always. And then of course, his other concern <laughs> is he wants to be with her. You know, he he's like that was a lot of time that he'd be away from her. Um, so it was a lot of negotiation, but 
we he finally agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here you are going to Guatemala with your daughter. Yeah. And she's now in third grade, is it? Well, by then, she would have been going into the fifth grade. Okay. So, so we separated um, just before she's going into the third grade. Okay. And then I went to Guatemala um, just after she finished the fourth grade. So she would have been going into the fifth grade. So yeah. what was it like to be there with her? Did it meet your expectations? Well, I went in with an open mind of what it would be like because I, I mean, I assumed I, I'm working. Um, she's going to have to go to school. So when I went on my interview, I checked out the school situation. Um, and it was, um, it was also really hard, but in, diff- in different kinds of ways. So in one way, having a kid gave me um, a vehicle to connect with other people who have children. So we had something in common. Um, so we could talk about our children or like, you know, connect mm-hmm. our children with each other. But I was also like every day concerned about how she doing in school, concerned about her safety and her well-being and her um, social development, her academic development, um, while I am trying to run a medical clinic. Mm-hmm. And so we moved. Um, I was working in a... So I worked for a nonprofit, um, also based out of the U.S. and coincidentally under the auspices <laughs> of a religious organization there. <laughs> and this time, I was a evangelical missionary. <laughs> Oops! Oops! <laughs> Unbeknownst to me. <laughs> okay. But once again, not I'm not proselytizing to people. It's just about like providing. So I ran a, a health clinic. Well, it's also it's interesting that those are the agencies that are down there doing this work, right? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, exactly. That's, that's who's doing the work. That's who's there. So your daughter, um, w- was she letting you know that she was doing okay or was she having trouble there? You know, was she healthy? You know? Yeah. So, um, just thinking about, I remember writing this note about how in a six month period, um, my daughter had been to, at that time, four different schools. We had lived in five places. I was, navigating three languages, English, Spanish, and we were living in an indigenous indigenous community, so the local Mayan dialect, Mm -hmm. two medical clinics, and a kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was overwhelming. So when we went there, I was going to be managing um, these two medical clinics in two different villages, and we lived in a third village that had, oddly, a Waldorf school there so it's an international Mm -hmm. Waldorf school and the videos looked beautiful I mean it's great marketing and their theme was or their motto was head hearts and hands and I saw these beautiful videos of um, the indigenous kids and the expat kids kind of doing craft projects together and exploring the (laughs) mountains together and uh, and it was beautiful but part of our machinations of getting ready to do this trip to Latin America was having our daughter enrolled in a bilingual school mm-hmm. so that she'd learn Spanish and she'd be prepared. So so she spoke some Spanish when we went, but she wasn't completely fluent. And um, so I thought, okay, well, she speaks Spanish. That's going to be good. But most of the kids in the class, like, they speak Spanish as a second language. They speak Cachiquel at home. Mm. And so the language of the playground is Cachiquel, not Spanish. And then within her class, there was only one other kid who is an expat. Um, his family's from Italy, and he, they, but they had been there for five years, so he was very acculturated. Mm. And she just felt completely out of place mm-hmm. and um, had a really hard time connecting and making friends. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I was... Um, trolling looking for 10 year old girls to be my daughter's friend and I would you know see somebody with a 10 year old girl and I'm like hey you know Mm. do you want to meet my kid (laughs) do you want to meet Solana do you want to I don't know but um do you want to meet my daughter um and I was trying to set up play dates or make connections when that it just wasn't connecting there was your daughter 
at an age where she could, um, would she try to edit you, encourage you, or ask you to stop doing that? Or was she happy you were trying to find friends for her? Um, yeah, she was happy I was trying to find friends for mm -hmm. her. Yeah. And, and did she talk about her dad a lot while you guys were gone? Did she miss home? Um, I mean, they talked every night, and she talked about her friends. Um, but I think at that age, like, it's it's harder for her to articulate her feelings. And I think, I think it took a while for her to see that we weren't just on a vacation. So she, we've traveled to Latin America before. She kind of knew how, you know, how to be in Latin America. But she... Um, didn't know the difference in living there. Mm -hmm. And so that, that took a while. So then how long did you end up staying in Guatemala with your daughter? So we were there for a year, just and, over a year. Yeah. And, and did it meet your expectations? No, it didn't. I mean, so if the, yes and no. I mean, if the expectation, I guess I say my expectations changed over time. I mean, what I told her, what I told her father and what I told myself was that I wanted to take her there to help her learn what it's like to live in another culture, to appreciate another culture, um, what it's like to be considered the other. Hmm. And then how do you treat people who are considered the other here? Mm -hmm. And that's not what really happened for her. I mean, a lot of what happened for her is she was bullied. She was, she felt left out. Um, she missed her friends. Um, and it was, a, she got sick a lot. It was a struggle. Mm -hmm. I mean, she did make some friends and we had a lot of great moments. I mean, I'll give you an example of a great moment is that, yeah, every Sunday she and two other girls would go horseback riding through the coffee fields on the side of a volcano. Wow. <laughs> and you can't imagine here, like, you know, a group of 10-year-old girls on horses going through coffee fields on their own, like, having adventures, yeah. getting in trouble, but, like, you know, innocent trouble, and just being young. And I remember here, like, taking her on a horseback riding trip, and, like, you have to hold the horse by the reins, and it's yeah, all controlled, yeah. and you have to sign liability. And so, like... That kind of like looseness and freeness and adventure, absolutely we had. I mean, she helped me in the medical clinic. She, um, we went and explored unexcavated pyramids. We like had hmm. amazing adventures, but she was really lonely. Okay. And she made a few friends, um, but didn't develop that kind of connection. When you said the expectations, but kind of, I guess only in hindsight, I realized that what I went for wasn't just to, for her, it was for me. And I missed that feeling of connection. And I missed what I'd had 20 years ago. I had not even felt that sense of connection in my marriage. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to feel that again. I wanted to feel like I was in love again. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that's why I did this. And maybe it's taken me a few years of looking back to see that. That, And, and it's not even like, what is it like to be in a romantic love? But what is it like to feel that linked to someone? That you share a fate together? That you're in the same boat together? Um, that you have each other's back? Mm -hmm. And that is something I had felt that I have not felt in a long time. And that I was hoping to feel again. I think that's such an important understanding to have. I think it's a hard understanding to have to know that when you went, it wasn't just for your daughter, you no. know, to, to come to that. Have you talked yeah. about it with her that way yet? Yeah. I mean, right now it's, it's hard for her to talk about. And I don't want to sound like she came back completely traumatized because a lot of her struggles were with middle school kids. She had the same struggles here. I mean, they're, bully, sure. they're bullies here. It's a hard time of life anyway. It's a hard time of life here. And it didn't, and it didn't mean like just leaving there, everything was rosy here. Um, and we've, we've talked about it some, but it is, it's a process. And her ability to, she's 14 now, and her ability to process things now is different than when we left when she was 11.
do you feel that you have found the source of connection for yourself? Um, I would say the way I feel now is that my priority is just making sure I raise my daughter and get her launched well. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of funny being at moms in our culture where we are told um, you've got to put your kids first. But at the same time, you can't live your life through your children. Hmm. And so I completely <laughs> resonate with that. Yeah, Right. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I cannot put my dream on her any more than I can put my dream on my ex-husband. Hmm. Like, I've got to let go and let her grow into the young woman that she's going to be and let her have her own dreams and kind of nurture her in her direction. And that, but if this, you know, be connected to her, but at the same time, be ready to let go. And so, and I'm totally fine with that right now. I don't, I don't feel that same longing today that I felt a few years ago. When you got back from Guatemala with your daughter for that last time that you're away, how did you feel? I felt like that was good. We're done. And now we're going to the next thing. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. It's kind of like, imagine you go to an Italian restaurant and you have a fabulous Chinese dinner. And then you're like, that was really good. And now we're done and we're going to get up and leave. <laughs> You mean that the Italian restaurant served you a Chinese dinner? Right. And it was really good. And now you're going to get up and leave. I, I wanted to make sure I got that right. So um, that's right. funny. Right. Um, but so, then, but yeah. you enjoyed it. <laughs> Not what you... you expected. Not what you expected. Right. But I also, you know, the clinic that I worked at, um, I also developed great relationships there. I felt like the sort of magical place of... The skills that I have are exactly what they needed, and I'm continuing to support them. I'm trying to help them out um, in some different ways. Um, But I didn't come back. When I came back from Guatemala the first time, I was a zealot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was not this time. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had, I don't know if to say check that box, Mm -hmm. but that was done. Mm -hmm. Like, that was really good. I'm done, and now this is what we're going to do. And so it was really about, um, like, just closing one chapter Mm. and then moving on to the next thing. Would you say, is it fair to say that you're content with the way your life is going now? Yeah. Yeah. I have to ask you before we end, um, did you end up having a relationship with your mother after the family fell apart? Uh... I mean, I had a relationship with her, mm-hmm. but I mean, I had a really, we, we had a struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it was tough. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So being a mother can be extra significant for people who have a hard time with their own mothers. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I, I feel, I feel what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Um, and in kind of looking back, I know that, you know, one of the, one of the issues with my mom was her trying to live her life vicariously through me and not seeing me for the unique person that I am and letting me kind of just develop in my own way. And without intending to, I was afraid that I was going to do that to my daughter. I, I want her to develop into the person that she's going to be and to be able to support her in her own interests and talents mm-hmm. and dreams. Um, so I, it's like I, I didn't see the gift I already had. I mean, I've always appreciated her and loved her and been amazed by who she is and what she's growing to be. Um, but that kind of connection and home and family that I was looking for, I had. And I still have that with her. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you wrote a, you wrote a, you're writing a memoir. And yeah. um, so you're still working on that. But eventually we will be able to read about your story. Yeah. And so what I'm, what I'm working on now, and I'm hoping to be done in the next six months with mm-hmm. all the edits and be ready to look for a publisher, is um, it's the story of our life in Guatemala 
uh, with my daughter and there's a lot of kind of flashbacks to other parts of my life but it mixes um, my story with um, Mayan mythology and Guatemalan history and politics um, in part because when I when I got divorced I just couldn't understand how this happened or why this happened um, or kind of how I got to this place in my life. And for me, looking at my life through the prism of another culture or another myth set of mythological constructs helped me kind of break apart those pieces in a different way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and just see things, see it differently. When I first started um, writing or when I was trying to deal with the, the divorce, um, some friends of mine said, oh, you should write it down. And so every day I would be kind of in this like position with my palms, you know, my hands up, my palms down and this, my hands are all scrunched up and like claws. And I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, you know, like, and I was working in Excel with spreadsheets and I would say, well, I'm going to try to like make this into a pivot table or, or how does this add up? It, it just doesn't make sense how I, you know, how this, how my marriage fell apart. Why, why are we in this situation? But then when I got to Guatemala, I learned that the word for a typewriter, or I should say a computer, is um, literally means the weaver of words. And so when I turned my hands from this kind of scrunched up palm down position and turned my palms up and my fingers were pointing toward me and I could see like, almost like in a weaving position and I started weaving my own story with the story of Marina or the story of you know any of the other people that I had come to know and love and then it kind of created this tapestry of my life and I could understand it better Mm -hmm. so that's a lot of what the book is about It's, it's my story but it's also the stories of people that I've known along the way and um legends and history and politics kind of all into one fabric. I think when it when you do get a publisher and the book comes out, I I can't wait to update um, the podcast page oh, with that information so people listening to this interview can then find more of your work. Um, Jan, thank you for sharing your story and for people listening to this interview can then find more of your work. Um, Jan, thank you for sharing your story and for sharing with such honesty, what you've learned, I think it's it's brave and it's helpful. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.